Welcome to the Kotke Ride Home for Thursday, October 1st, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. Why are people saying there's a black hole at the center of the Earth? The Irish Supreme Court declares that Subway's bread is not actually bread. The surprising controllers that the U.S. Navy uses for its Subway's periscopes. And winter is coming in unprecedented winter and how to prepare for it. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. Earlier this week, science Twitter went into a tailspin when a 2019 paper was discovered in the journal Open Access Macedonian Journal of Medical Sciences titled A Black Hole at the Center of the Earth Plays the Role of the Biggest System of Telecommunication for Connecting DNAs, Dark DNAs, and Molecules of Water on Fourth Dimensional Manifold. Yeah, a black hole at the center of the Earth. One which affects our DNA via telecommunication? It seems like something we really should have sounded the alarm on when this was published over a year ago. Well, it's okay that we didn't because, get this, and I know, this will be shocking, but it looks like this paper might be a fake. Quoting Futurism, the most likely explanation, according to Cambridge University mathematician Sarah Rasmussen, is that the authors purposely submitted a ridiculous paper in order to expose predatory journals that purport to be normal, peer-reviewed publications, but in reality apply little scrutiny to material that they publish, often in order to collect publication fees. As Rasmussen pointed out, the lead author on the paper has previously published a paper about the threat posed by predatory journals. And as a nail in the coffin, she also noted that the Open Access Macedonian Journal of Medical Sciences was previously fooled by a sting operation by Science back in 2013, which attempted to get outlandish papers published in journals that claimed to peer-review their material, end quote. As Forbes points out, it's fairly well known among scientists that if you just keep submitting even the most baseless papers to more and more journals, it will eventually get accepted somewhere. Which is, of course, not a good thing at all, and that problem is exactly how this fake, as futurism describes it, quote, mad lib of conspiracy theories and scientific-sounding words managed to get published in an allegedly reputable journal. But in case you aren't completely convinced by that argument, in case you want to entertain the idea that maybe this paper was actually the whistleblower on a vast conspiracy— Forbes was kind enough to take the time to explain definitively how we know there isn't a black hole at the center of Earth. It's quite a long and complex explanation if you are a layperson like me, but here's the gist. First, quoting Forbes, Black holes are what you form when you get so much matter or energy together in one location that an event horizon forms, a region of space that's so severely curved that nothing in the universe, not even light, can escape from within it. Black holes, because the curved space around them has different properties when compared to the flatter space farther away from them, always spontaneously radiate energy away by their very nature. This released energy, known as Hawking radiation, comes at the expense of the mass of the black hole. This means over time that black holes will evaporate, with the lowest mass black holes evaporating the most quickly. Like everything in the universe, however, there are limits. 
If you make your black hole too small, i.e. too low in mass, then the amount of time it will take to evaporate becomes shorter than the Planck time, the timescale on which physical measurements and the predictions of our theories are meaningful. End quote. And they go on to say how there's a minimum time scale, minimum length scale, and minimum mass that has to be met for the black hole to exist. Unless we assume that there are more than three dimensions of space, and if one of those extra dimensions is very large, which would mean that black holes of significantly smaller energies and masses can exist without immediately decaying. But even then, the only way for the black hole to survive is if we, quote, find some way for these black holes to consume enough mass rapidly enough that they grow faster than they decay, end quote. And quoting further, if we create a tiny black hole such as this on Earth, and the black hole then passes into or through the Earth, you can envision a scenario where you have a small mass, small size black hole moving rapidly through the Earth, and yes, it's evaporating and losing mass, but it's simultaneously colliding with particles and devouring them, gaining mass. And that if it can move fast enough and encounter enough particles, it can gain mass fast enough to grow. And that as it gains mass, it sinks to the Earth's center, where it remains, continuing to grow as new particles encounter it, until the entire Earth is catastrophically consumed. End quote. But even then, the rate at which it would need to consume protons and neutrons to grow couldn't outpace the rate at which it would decay, for a whole host of complex reasons. But in conclusion, quote, even under the most optimistic, realistic scenario, there can be no black holes that survive for more than a fraction of a second inside the Earth. If we only have three spatial dimensions, the particles that exist, whether in terrestrial particle accelerators or from the natural cosmic accelerators found in space, can never create a black hole here on Earth. End quote. So the good news is a black hole isn't going to consume the Earth. The bad news is academic journals aren't as reliable as we sometimes think they are. Though Open Access Macedonian Journal of Medical Sciences did retract this article, along with four others by the same team, including one about growing a second heart and brain in chick embryos, another about a mathematical model of death, and one about using microwaves to reduce fat. In any case, well done to the internet sleuths who cracked this one. Hopefully it leads to some better oversight going forward. The Irish Supreme Court has officially ruled that the bread used at Subway cannot legally be considered bread. The ruling mostly concerns the sugar content of the bread, which is so high that the bread has to be classified as a confectionery. Quoting Gizmodo, The court noted that Subway's bread has a sugar content of roughly 10% of the flour's weight. The amount of sugar in the dough would need to be 2% of the flour's weight to be considered bread under Irish tax law. The case made its way to the Supreme Court because Subway's Irish franchisee, a company called Bookfinders, was trying to argue that it shouldn't have to pay Ireland's national sales tax, known as a value-added tax, in Europe. Staple foods like bread and milk are exempt from the tax, but non-essential foods that have been prepared, along with anything considered discretionary indulgences, as the court ruling phrased it, are taxed. And that would mean things like ice cream and potato chips are taxed under the law as currently written, but it left open the question of whether a sandwich at Subway was an indulgence, end quote. 
1972 law defining Ireland's value-added tax on certain foods and beverages, as well as the most recent court document analyzing that law with regards to Subway's offerings, covers a lot of ground including dining in or taking food home, whether or not to tax hot sandwiches but not cold ones, what the difference is between someone buying a tea bag and an already made cup of tea. It was a lot, but the bread was the linchpin. Here's how the 1972 law defines the contents of bread. Quote, Fat, sugar, and bread improver subject to the limitation that the weight of any ingredients specified in the subclause shall not exceed 2% of the weight of flour included in the dough. End quote. Because Subway's bread's sugar content is 10% the flour's weight, it cannot be considered a staple item and therefore must be subject to Ireland's value added tax of 13.5%. Gizmodo points out that this may sound strange to American ears who often don't realize just how much sugar is hidden in foods we don't usually think of as sweet treats. Because the US doesn't have the same regulations as countries like Ireland, our bread companies can advertise things like no added whatever, even though the bread does actually have quite a bit of added sugar. The author of the Gizmodo article points to Arnold's 100% natural whole wheat bread, which is labeled no added nonsense, but contains 4 grams of sugar. If you ate two slices, Gizmodo points out, you will already have had as much sugar as is contained in a fun size Almond Joy candy bar. And speaking of candy bars, this all reminds me of the different legal definitions of chocolate in the European Union versus here in the States. Since the 70s, the EU has defined chocolate as having at least 30% cocoa content, while in the US, it's only required to have 10% cocoa. There's even some tension between the UK and some of the more chocolate purist countries in Europe who think that the only kind of fat in chocolate should come from cocoa butter, while the UK tends to add vegetable fat and milk to theirs. The whole world of defining what is and isn't food is pretty wild. It's like if the Supreme Court had to make a legal call on whether hot dogs are sandwiches or not. Which, you know, maybe they should. Just settle that debate once and for all. Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania. Must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. It's the first day of October, which means winter somehow feels a lot closer than it did yesterday. And you've probably been hearing this for months now, but we may really need to brace ourselves for winter. Even if cases don't substantially rise in many places, as honestly they are likely to, here in the US at least, it doesn't look like things will go much more back to normal before the end of the year. So even if we don't need to lock down more, we will still need to maintain the same levels of social distancing and other precautions we've been trying to stick to for going on seven months now. And a lot of those things are going to become a lot more logistically difficult and psychologically trying as it gets colder and darker. 
And to that end, I wanted to share an article that I found particularly helpful in just trying to get my head in the zone of preparing for winter. As the writer Rachel Miller writes in Vice, quote, it's a good idea to plan for the worst while hoping for the best, end quote, which is a pretty good life lesson in general. But remember how in the spring you likely went through a repeating list in your head of all the things you absolutely would have done if you had known this was coming? Time to revisit that list and figure out the things on it that would both still be helpful if a stricter lockdown returns in winter and which you can reasonably do. So, like, I would have taken a trip abroad to see family is unfortunately still not in the cards, but I would have bought a desk for my home office before they were all sold out. Might still be relevant. And here are some questions to get you brainstorming. Quoting Vice, Think specifically about your day-to-day comfort, habits, and health. What were or are the biggest pain points? What might be exacerbated by cold weather, being indoors, or an unforeseen catastrophe like a job loss or illness? And what, if anything, could you do or plan to do now to feel a little bit less bad come January? End quote. And one tip if you are prone to overcommitting or trying to do everything at once is to allow yourself to make a huge list of anything you can think of and then do a few rounds of paring it down and being honest with yourself about what is actually doable. Depending on the size of the tasks and your present circumstances, something in the ballpark of three to five things is probably smart. Vice also notes that while a lot of the things that you might put on your list require spending money, don't automatically write them off even if your budget is tight right now. Instead, keep them in mind so that you can spend longer completing them, you know, whether that's because you need to save up or you want to hunt for sales or hand-me-down options. And no matter what your budget is like, instead of stocking up on food and supplies all in one go at the last minute when everyone is freaking out, start adding one or two non-perishable items to your basket on each trip now so that you'll have a little bit set aside if and when the time comes. But some other more concrete examples, starting with things you can do to make sure you're in the best physical and mental shape you can be once the colder, darker days come. Some suggestions from Vice include getting your flu shot, quote, taking care of that one nagging issue, bad allergies, birth control, contact lenses, the tooth that's been feeling not quite right, etc., end quote, and maybe restocking your first aid kit signing up for a virtual therapist, getting a regular but low-key workout routine going, or learning to cook one new go-to meal. And think about what you need for the cold, wet, dark months, especially recognizing that we'll probably be spending more time outdoors in bad weather than usual. Should you get a new coat or boots, a space heater or outdoor blanket, even just some string lights for inside or outside that will liven things up and make you smile. If you're working or studying from home, see if there's something you can do to improve your workspace. It doesn't have to be buying new furniture or equipment, it could mean just rearranging your furniture or reassessing your daily routine to better suit your needs and the changing daylight times. Especially if you live alone or with people you're not particularly close to, be sure to prioritize being social. Get calls back on your calendar with people you can open up with, or reach out to friends you're less close with to mix it up and see new faces. Just make sure to actually build in time for socializing. Basically, just think of small things you can do that will help you cheer up and persevere through a tough winter spent largely at home. Maybe make a playlist now and email a reminder of it to yourself for mid-December when you need a boost. 
hang up that art or photos you've been meaning to forever to give your space more color, figure out a hobby or wind-down kind of entertainment that works for you and your lifestyle. We have a little foresight now and a little time to prepare, but it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Just take it in small doses. Some things from my list, I'm getting my flu shot, maybe gonna go to the dentist before cases rise too much again here in New York City. I also plan to go hard on decorations for all of the holidays and might get that new desk I've been looking at for a while. There are even more suggestions in the Vice article, so if you found this helpful or want some more inspiration as you work on your own list, check out the link in the show notes. So here's the thing that I saw on the Today I Learned subreddit earlier today that is an older story, but it's so wild that I just had to share it. Apparently, the U.S. Navy operates the periscopes on their submarines with Xbox 360 controllers. They were implemented in 2017 and 18 as part of a more affordable and modern overhaul of the early 90s Seawolf-class submarines. Quoting The Verge, The innovation comes as the Navy's response to feedback given by junior officers and sailors who said that the controls for the periscope were clunky and real heavy. In addition to being hard to manage, the hand grip and imaging control panel used previously also cost about $38,000, compared to the Xbox 360 controller's cost of around $20. Training time for the Xbox controller also decreased to minutes, compared to the hours it took to learn the helicopter-style joystick. And now, if the controls break, I can go to any video game store and procure an Xbox controller anywhere in the world, so it makes a very easy replacement, Senior Chief Mark Eichenlaub told the Virginian pilot. According to him, this is just the first of more familiar tech coming to the Navy, which plans to eventually add electronic touchscreens to more of their interfaces one day. End quote. Video game element aside, it does remind me of how the SpaceX rockets have changed the controls to be almost entirely touchscreen, but also of how some airplanes still depend on floppy disks, and how that's apparently more secure in some ways. Still, it's pretty cool to think of an Xbox controller specifically as being classified as a type of familiar tech used outside of its one intended purpose. You know, like we're used to seeing tablets used in all sorts of situations, but you don't usually think of video game controllers being repurposed. And given both the familiarity and, as they said, the cost, it really is a pretty good idea. That is it for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I'm going to go see if I can get my Avril Lavigne body double conspiracy theory published in an academic journal. I hope you have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow.